to the Heads Up Podcast. I am Jason Rogers, the head of school of Rundle College Society, and I'll be your host for this season's episode. With each new podcast, we hope to explore interesting topics relating to Rundle College student, faculty, and parent life. This season, you'll hear interviews with faculty, parents, alumni, students, and educational experts. Each episode will aim to provide an insight and context to the happenings in and around our community. Thank you for joining me and everybody in the Rumble College Society on this journey, and I hope you enjoy this Rumble experience. Welcome back to the second season of the Heads Up Podcast. To start the second season, we're doing something really unique and I think going to be quite interesting. It's a series of conversations called Take Two, and it's in direct relation to the Case Heads and Chairs Conference that's going on right now in Calgary, Alberta. Just by way of background, the Case Heads and Chairs Conference brings together 200 heads of school and chairs of their boards to share best practice and to get together and and figure out what's going on in our country in private schools. Now the take two format's pretty straightforward. First take is what the keynote speaker hoped would be the takeaway from the audience from his or her presentation. The second take is what my takeaway was, and then we'll just take a moment to discuss those two items and, and see how it applies to our schools in Canada in the private school context. So without any further ado, let's get right into the conversations. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this series. All right, we're here with Robert Evans. Uh, he just finished his keynote at the Case Chairs and Heads Conference. It's a real pleasure to be able to sit down with him today and do the Take Two format of the Heads Up podcast. So by way of introduction, I thought I would just share a few uh, tips or uh, highlights about Robert Evans' background, and then we'll get right into the takeaways. So um, Robert Evans, clinical and institutional psychologist, uh, he's taught high school and he's taught preschool, pretty remarkable range in that respect. Um, But what's most interesting to me is he's worked with thousands of school leaders over the years. He's been doing this for about 40 years, and uh, he's worked in 1,700 schools. Uh, We're really blessed to have him here in Calgary with us during the conference, and I can hardly wait to hear what he has to say to our listening audience about you know, what he hoped was a takeaway, and then I get to share what my takeaway was from his session. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, so we just finished talking about the relationship between the chair and the head uh, and how important that is, but it was wide-ranging. I think you hit on dozens and dozens of topics. You had us laughing and reflecting and, and almost crying on occasion. And uh, I'm curious as to what what your intent was in the keynote. What, what's one thing you hope that the heads and chairs would have taken away from your time? Well, it's actually probably a two-headed one thing. Okay. So uh, one is that I wanted to normalize the range of challenges uh, facing schools these days uh, and that form the backdrop uh, against which the relationship between the head and the board chair uh, operates. Right. Because I think the complexities, which had been shown in the earlier demonstration um, you know, by Patty yes. McDonald during uh, the first part of the uh, afternoon, uh, illustrated uh, a lot of that. And then there were other things that I brought in because I think the whole business of leading, governing uh, schools is getting steadily more complex. Right. So there was sort of a piece of that. And related to that, the second head of it, if you will, is um, I think uh, 
it heads uh, have almost always been glad to have someone else vouch to the chairs mm-hmm. for what it's like being in the headship. Right. And it's hard when it's you in your school with your chair, or if it were me in my school, if I had one with mine, to say, well, don't you see what it's like being in my shoes? It's easier if someone else says that. Yes. And I've had enough chance to talk with enough heads that I can confidently say, here's some of the kind of things there constantly grappling with yeah and I think it's good for the chairs to hear that although as you could see I wasn't just trying to make the chairs shape up yep but I did want them to be able to have a reminder of what it's like being in the headship right and I think that was absolutely effective in in the conversation we had in the in the large group session Uh, there were a couple things that came out for me and and you touched on it in your comments is uh, we talk about the complexity of schools and the increasing complexity and increasing anxiety and stress amongst faculty, leadership, and students. Um, the conference we're at has a theme of backpack to the future. And early in your comments, you said, you know, we keep putting things into our backpacks, whether it's risk or operationally or co-curriculars. We're just packing that backpack full, and uh, we're all subject to that. But I, I, I need to know the what can we take out of that, in your estimation? What what would be the first thing you pull out of that backpack? Well, I mean, I can answer for me whether that's a realistic thing that's likely to happen is something else again. Yeah. So uh, I go to a, uh, I mean, the kind of things occur to me are like this. I go to a lot of schools where the definition of rigor mm-hmm. seems to me to be more like rigor mortis. Yes. So a math teacher who gives the kids 20 problems a night mm-hmm. of the same type, if a student can do three or four, she can do 20. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's more rigorous to make her spend an extra 35 minutes or whatever, or whatever it would be, doing the rest of them. Right. So to pick, that, that's sort of one thing. Um, I think there are uh, ways also in which schools have either been pressed or volunteered to take on some functions that they're not ideally suited to and that we would have reason actually to expect parents or someone else to take care of. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess if I had enough time, I could come up with a list of a bunch of things, some smaller, some larger. However, the however for me is, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine any school that would want to be the first to say we are no longer doing this because there has been a kind of an arms race of promising. Yes. And it's in a a way, it's a bit like um, if... If one airline actually started enforcing the luggage size restrictions yes. alone, they would risk losing customers. If the government imposes something and enforces it on all of them, mm-hmm. they could all cut back and make mm-hmm. people bring smaller bags. Or, sure. You know what I mean? But in the absence of that, it's hard to be the first that's going to volunteer to step up. And I think there's a point there. Like there's, there is an arms race to to rigor or to adding on programs. Yep. And I think we're all caught in it. Whether it's a private, independent, public charter school, we're yep. all yep. in that space. And I think it's dangerous. I think one of the antidotes to the arms race that, that you bring forward in 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 your presentations that I've I've seen at least is the idea of joy in yep. schools. And I think to some respect. We're missing that. Would you would you agree? Does that resonate? Yes. I mean, as I tried to say today, you know, education's really important, very, but it doesn't benefit from being treated as life or death. Yeah. You know, in the states for these last years, we've had this horrendous sort of uh, high stakes testing mania. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you increase the anxiety to a certain point, 
you release chemicals in the brain that interfere with concentration and hamper memory. Right. And it's not that school should be just lighthearted all the time, but it needs some kind of balance about this um, that I think is often missing. And uh, as schools have been competing with each other to promise more and offer more, uh, I go to more and more of them, actually, where they offer more co-curriculars than they actually have enough students for. Right. More sports than they actually have enough players for. Right. You know, let alone all the academic pieces of what they're doing. And um, when you talk with the faculty, I've had this happen a lot. A teacher said at a school last year, you know, we all agree here when we're talking with Rob that we ought to cut back. Yeah. But we all know that as soon as we leave this meeting, we're all going to go out and try to recruit students for the chess club or the whatever it is that we advise and work with, you know? Yes. And that none of us individually wants to be the first to say, well, I'll give up mine. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I see it in our schools is that, um, yeah, nobody wants to give up what's theirs. And that's leadership to teacher to you name it, to students. Um, it's and how, we we get it. how we get strategic plans that would choke a horse. Yes. Because yeah. everybody agrees we should prioritize, but nobody wants their priority left out. Yes, absolutely. I think, um, and that's the challenge. I think if we can leave this conference backpack to the future and, and focus in on that, what can we take out of our backpack and then really hold to it, that might be a great takeaway from our time together here. So in that regard, I do think this. I, I, I didn't have time to say it today, but I am a believer that most independent schools, most of them, are actually different from public schools in a number of ways, one of which is they're smaller, yep. typically have smaller classes. This inevitably means fewer choices. Yes. And I think schools need to maximize something about the value of what they're offering without trying to do it through adding and adding and adding. Right. Um, and I think the schools that are most attractive in the long run to parents are places where they're very clear about what makes us us. Yes. The priority piece. Right. So we believe in many good things, and here's what matters most. Mm -hmm. And that's what we go after with real passion here. Yes. And it doesn't mean that you can't list the other things or acknowledge them or do something about them, but we're kind of clear about what matters most. And um, it, it at least, you know, it lets one school emphasize a little of this and maybe another school emphasize some of that. The challenge is being the head of school who's going to say, well, we're going to let this go. Right, right. Well, thank you for that challenge. <laughs> well, I thought it'd be just what you'd be looking forward to. Just what you need, Jason. Yeah. You say uh, in the presentation, you're speaking a little bit, I thought to parents, and this might be a good segue into takeaway for parents. And I think you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but in you said in today's workforce, uh, there's more opportunity, but less predictability. Yeah. Um, first of all, can I get you to unfold that just a little bit for our listeners who weren't in the room? And then I have a follow-up question to that. So what I tried to say was that, um, uh, you know, it's easiest to be a parent when change is slow and choices for kids are few. Yeah. That way it's easy to be confident that what I know is relevant to what my kids have to learn to grow up well. The faster things change and the more choices that are available to students, the harder it is to be a confident parent. Right. And so these days, when we've expanded the number of choices and keep trying to do that, it's actually harder. Yes. And if you look in the workforce, I also said that um, it used to be that no company would 
uh, lay people off or cut positions when they were profitable. Right. Now they will. Yeah. And that what's up for certain people, certain, for example, in high tech, is lots of variety and opportunity and, and, and innovation. Yeah. What's down for everybody is predictability, job security, Certainty. <clears throat> that kind of yes. stuff. And I think that's actually very hard on parents. And they're often looking to their independent school to be a kind of guaranteed pathway right. to my child being safe and secure in the future. And if you were to take that just a step further, this is where the question is, what advice would you give to a parent who's caught in that conundrum? You know, they want the high opportunity, high predictability. That would give them certainty. Um, what would you, if I was a parent sitting here, have a child and I've got this, this paradox in front of me, what would you say? Well, uh, I don't know. First, I'd acknowledge that it's hard. Yes. And it's a challenge for all of us. Second, uh, I think I would probably say that one of the things that plays into this is that parents have come to be so uh, anxious to make sure their child suffers no uh, disappointment, frustration, failure, or whatever. Right. Um, and that actually some of the most important learning in life happens from that. Thank so you. So here's one thing. Uh, you can't pick your children's friends. Yeah. You can affect who their friends are by which school they go to and therefore which kids they meet, but you can't make them like Johnny but not Jim. Right. And so that parents would need to sort of um, just sort of face some of this kind of reality. However, I, if I'm honest, I would say I'm, I'm a grandfather now. Yes. And, you know, uh, and I would say I, I think it's not easy to be as confident as I would like to be about what the options will be for my grandchildren when they grow up. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a way to pretend that there's a, um, a nifty, easy solution to that. Right, right. So basically the comfort with the uncertainty and knowing that... You have to. Yeah. And also, I, I think this, you know, finally, you can only do what you can do. And um, so to me, uh, even though I don't know what the future is going to hold and all that stuff... I do know some things in my gut that I simply would not be comfortable having my children do. Yes. And even if I'm not sure about the future, I do have a right to say, no, we don't do that in our household. Yes. We don't do that in our family. Yes. We do go to grandma's for summer uh, supper on Sunday or whatever. Right. And it's okay if you don't like it, but we're yep. doing it. Yep. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, we have to assert ourselves often, even absent some of the predictability that we wish we had. I think I, I might be wrong on this, and please correct me if I am, but you spoke in the keynote session about our kids are coming to kindergarten, better prepared to read and write. Yeah, but less ready to learn. Thank you. And, and I think, were you speaking at that time about a lack of emphasis on soft skills and character? Or was it something, was it something different? Uh, some, because what I was saying was there are more kids who come, who. Uh, can't form a line. Yeah. Uh, more kids who um, uh, don't want to take no for an answer. Yes. More kids who don't want to be quiet while someone else talks. Mm -hmm. These are all things that you learn at home normally by having a parent make you do them. Yes. And what you, the way you develop what we call character is these things begin outside you as things your parents insist on and model. And then uh, what happens is we take them in. 
Yes. Uh, and they become internal guides for us. And we now have many more kids who come without any of that extra or not enough of that external framework. And so they don't have, and the school itself finds itself having to start teaching some basic things, like, for example, making eye contact when you say hello to someone. Right, right. Which 20 years ago it never did. Right. When you're as old as I am, you've got to be careful about complaining about the young. That's what the old always do. <laughs> yeah, fair. On the other hand, it's fair to say that the readiness things to be a student, not the intelligence things, mm -hmm. uh, most schools, even the very best from the wealthiest neighborhoods and stuff, find themselves having to pay a lot more attention to this and cope with it more. Thank you. As we, uh, as we come closer to the end of this episode, I want to come back to one of my favorite things I've heard you say, um, and I had the great pleasure of seeing you speak five years ago as I stepped into the headship of Run College, and it has always stuck with me, and I use it all over the place. Um, so I, I want to first kind of restate it and then have mm -hmm. you fill in the gaps for our listeners so mm -hmm. we can share that out a little bit. Um, but essentially you said as you come into a headship, you are a priest in a secular office. Um, for our listeners who, who might, this is completely out of context, they're right. not going to understand right. what I just said. Can you help elaborate for you know, potential future leaders or even for empathy uh, around yeah. this role? So a school is much more like a house of worship than anything else, even if the school itself is not religious. Yeah. The work of the school is like the work of a house of worship. Uh, it's raising the young, it's developmental, it's not selling a service, it's not manufacturing widgets. Yeah. Um, the work of the people who do that is guiding the young, it's uh, helping the young get ready for the future by teaching them what we already know. Um, and an awful lot of it involves relationship and modeling and helping kids learn how to become adults. And all that kind of work is work that uh, schools share in common with uh, uh, houses of worship. And it's, it's not identical, they're not mm. always exactly the same, et cetera, but there's a lot that's in common. And the leader is often seen very much as is the pastor mm -hmm. in the parish. Uh, as the person who is the embodiment of the covenant, if you will, mm -hmm. of the school. Mm -hmm. And so the, the plus side is that's an influential role. The downside sometimes is that you are always seen as in that role right. rather than something else. Right. But um, it, it comes with the territory and there's no getting away from it. That's right. And I think to come in with your eyes wide open as a, as a leader is a really helpful thing to yep. do because it helps frame yep. an awful lot of what goes on in your life. And yep. so uh, just a, a genuine thank you from the Case oh, community, for myself. Pleasure. And uh, you've, been, you've been an inspiration over time and I hope a lot of people benefit from this conversation as I benefit from my time. I'm glad to you. talk with you, Jason. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Okay.